All right. How awesome is that? How awesome is graduation? Pretty cool, right? Um, man, it seems like that was just me, like, you know, yesterday, but it's been way longer than I care to admit, unfortunately. But hey, just like Hunter said, we're super excited that you guys are here. You know, um, graduation is always a special time. It's always a special time when family can, you know, kind of come and get together and all that kind of stuff and honor, you know, you're, you're part of the family and it's, it's fantastic. Um, as I look out there, I see some, um, some unfamiliar faces just because of, you know, the families and stuff. And so I'm going to introduce myself real fast. Uh, my name is Jackson Grant. I'm the um, student pastor here at Lake Point Church. Um, let's see, what's interesting about me that you would care to know? Um, uh, I've been here since the church started, I guess. I think that was like three years ago. I don't know. This time's gone by so fast. Um, let's see. I've been, I go to Kennesaw State University, um, major in history education. Uh, I want to be a teacher. You can pray for me later. It's okay. Um, I really, I enjoy, I enjoy students. I love teaching. So I thought it's something that I might want to do. Um, as, as mentioned earlier, we're, um, the youth has taken over the service here. So you guys get to listen to me for 30 minutes. Isn't that going to be a treat? Um, I'll try to slow down. I know I tend to talk a little fast. but um, So as I was thinking about graduation, I was thinking about what, you know, what, what do graduates want to hear? What do students want to hear? But at the same time, make it relatable, right? So I was just kind of thinking, I was like, okay, I got to get into the mind of a graduate. Even though it seemed like it was yesterday for me, unfortunately it wasn't. I, I'm an adult now, I'll admit it, even though I don't want to. But I went through some of my old graduation materials, okay? I went through some of my old college orientation materials, and I found some advice, okay, that was given to me when I first went to college. This was, um, I went to Covenant College, okay, and this was some advice given from the students there that was in the freshman orientation materials. Um, so we have some of those here, so you can read them. All right, the first one is, I think we have it on the screen here. Yeah, okay. Don't buy one of those mesh slash wire trash cans. You know what I'm talking about, right? The one you see in every bookstore that has like all the holes in it. Because you won't put a bag in it, you will forget and accidentally throw up in it when you get sick. <laughs> I know, that's pretty disgusting, right? But I mean, if you think about it, that's truth. That's truth. It just kind of, you know, we don't need to talk about it. But anyway, so that was the first one. All right, what's the next one? When you meet your roommate for the first time, scream as loud as you can and kick them in the chest, asserting your dominance for the remainder of the semester. <laughs> so obviously that's probably not the best idea, right? Um, some of these, some of these I, I kind of wonder the story behind some of these to make them think that this is so important. All right, what's the next one? Find a toilet on campus that no one knows about, one that is clean and has two-ply toilet paper. Find that magical toilet and tell no one of its existence. That one is actually really important, it, even if you don't think it is. When you go to college, you automatically lose all privacy that you thought you had. You thought when you lived with your parents, you're like, man, I don't have any privacy. They're all over me. Well, try living in a dorm room with somebody in the size of, like, you know, this stage here. And you have communal bathrooms, and it's just privacy will be your best friend. So I promise you that is no joke. All right, what else? Take classes that are actually interesting, not just ones that fit your nothing-before-noon schedule. The more engaged in class you are, the more you'll get from it. Now, I can attest to this one. This one's actually pretty accurate. So my first semester, I took an 8 a.m. class, okay? And I was like, yeah, I got up for school at 8 a.m., you know, Monday through Friday. I can do it in college, too. That was a big mistake. I showed up to that class maybe half the time, and I was like, man... It's a lot harder to wake up when your parents aren't there making you go to school. It was absolutely awful. So then 
for like two or three years, I stopped taking 8 a.m. classes and I started taking everything at like, you know, two and three in the afternoon. And then I was like, well, I don't think I like this either because then I'm in class till seven o'clock at night and that's just not, I just didn't like that. That's not school to me. So then I started getting into my major and I started taking more interesting class, interesting to me anyway, it's probably boring as heck to all you guys, but um, these interesting classes were at like, you know, 8, 9.30 in the morning and I was like, you know what, I, I think I can do that. But it helps you wake up in the morning if you know that it's interesting and you're going to get something out of it. All right, what else? Just do the work. Going to college and not doing the work is like going to a restaurant, ordering the most expensive thing on the menu, and then not eating it. That's actually, the, the thing about it is, is that you probably aren't ordering it, your parents are. So when your parents are paying for the classes, you should probably go to them because it's their money, right? I remember, you know, I was like, you know, in school, in high school, you, you don't want to go to school, and it's like, it's not a big deal because you're not paying for it, right? Well, you know, if I'm taking thousands of dollars in loans to go to this class, I should probably show up. It's probably, uh, it would probably help me to show up, and it would probably, um, you know, hell, actually, that's part of the next one. Let's go to the next one. Actually, showing up to class is 90% of passing the class. That's all college is, I promise you. All college is, is if you go and you put your butt in a seat, you're going to pass the class. I could almost guarantee it. <laughs> the professors just want to be heard. That's all, that's all it is. Their just ego is up here. All they want to do is be heard. So if you're in the class and they see you face-to-face, -face, they probably won't fail you. I learned that early on, that as long as you just show up, it's not that hard. But so college, it's, 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 it has its perks, obviously. It's interesting. Um, and if you're not going to college, then you're going into adulthood. And that's just as interesting, I guess. You know, bills and stuff are a lot of fun. But... Um, I've been a professional college student. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. I'm a professional college student. Uh, when you go to college for, you know, six, seven years, I think you can be considered a professional at this point. So when I pull all those things up, I can attest that, yeah, that, that stuff does indeed happen uh, pretty regularly. Um, but what college is about, more than just the classes, and what being an adult is about, is about how to learn how to be an adult, right? When you're living at home, and, you know, you have some sort of independence and freedom, but then you go to college or you become an adult, you move out, you get a full-time job, all that kind of stuff, you immediately become an adult just like that. And a lot of us, and I know me included, I didn't know how to be an adult. I went to college, I moved away for the first time, it was in Chattanooga, um, so I mean, it's not like I was, you know, states away. I was only a couple hours, but when I got there, I realized that, wait, I have to wake myself up? I have to make breakfast myself. I have to learn to cook something. I mean, I couldn't even throw anything in the microwave and heat it up. And I, could, I couldn't even do laundry by myself. I had to call my mom like, hey, mom, how do I do laundry? And she was like, yeah, I just do this. And I ended up shrinking all my clothes anyway, so it didn't help. But so it, it's learning to be, to be an adult. It's learning how, how to do adulthood, I guess, um, the next step after graduation. And I struggled with that, like hardcore. Um, the first semester was a complete struggle for me. Um, but the biggest thing that you're going to struggle with, and the biggest thing that I struggled with, I guess, is, is um, who I was, an identity crisis, right? And I'm, I'm trying to speak to students, but I'm also trying to speak to the rest of you guys as well. I'm, try I'm trying to bridge the gap here. But um, so an identity crisis, right? I mean, even adults go through identity crisis sometimes, you know, whether whether you lose your job or, you know, for, for you adults that have graduates, you know, you, they, this may be your last one, it may be your first one, and it's completely different, right? If, you know, it was an, if you were an only child and, you know, you left, then 
you know, what, as a parent, you're like, what do I do now? You know, my identity was, was in my kids. Where, where am I at here? Um, but when I went to college personally, you, you kind of lose who you were. Um, you know, when you were in high school, or when you, you know, if you still are in high school, your identity is kind of defined by that, right? You're going to school with the same people you've been going to school with. You know, most of the time they know your parents. Most of the time your parents know each other. You know, all your teachers know you. Um, and you're defined by the sports you play. Like when you're walking down the hall, you're like, oh, yeah, he plays baseball. He plays football. Well, and maybe the clubs, you know. Well, he's in chess club. He's a little nerdy kid. That was me. Um, but so you're identified by the things you do, right? Well, college is a bit different because college, yeah, there, I mean, there's sports, but, you know, not a lot of people play those sports. Is, is compared to high school, or there's a lot more people. So in college, you may feel like just a number, um, especially if you go to these bigger colleges. You know, um, the first college I went to was a small private college. It was Covenant College. It was a small um, private religious college. Um, and I mean, there was only like 900 people there, so it wasn't that big a deal. My high school was bigger than that. Ah, excuse me. Um, but, you know, now that I'm at Kennesaw State, we got like 35,000 people or something like that. So, you know, I'm, at this point, I'm just a number. You know what I mean? So your identity is, is shaped in that way. Um, so for me, when I went to Covenant, like I said, it was a little different. But I went to Covenant College to play baseball, okay? And um, that's, that's what I went there for. I, I can say that, yeah, I really like the college. I can say, yeah, you know, this major was going to be awesome. But really, though, I, I went to play baseball. I'll just throw that out there. I'll throw that out there first. So... I ended up getting there, and it, it just didn't, it, it didn't work out for whatever reason. So I ended up not playing baseball, okay? Well, that immediately, like, cut my identity right out from under me. That, that's who I saw myself in that college as, was a baseball player. Well, as soon as I stopped doing that, I lost the connections with, you know, the people I had met from the team. I completely lost who, who I thought I was at that point because I had shaped my identity in that way. Um, and then, so... I didn't have any identity at that point. So I started shaping my own identity, or so I thought. You know, when you go to college, most of the time nobody knows you, so you can be whoever you want to be, right? That's what I thought. I was like, nobody knows who I am, so why not be whoever I want to be? So I started doing these things. I started talking to people that I wouldn't usually talk to, and, you know, I was just trying to be somebody that I wasn't. I was trying to make it up. I was trying to fit in, I guess, which was weird because it was a private religious college anyway, so I don't really know what I was doing at that point. But in the process of all that, I lost who, who I originally was, and I became somebody that I wasn't. And in that, I stopped going to church up there. You know, they, it's, it's a religious college, and they encourage you to find a local church up there, whatever, and that, that's fine. I did that. But then I stopped. I just stopped going. Um, and they had these mandatory chapel services that you had to attend, and I would go to those only because they were mandatory. Um, but I would sit in the back. I wouldn't pay attention. I wouldn't get anything. And I stopped reading my Bible. Man, that was hardcore. Um, so I stopped doing a lot of that, okay? And in the process of that, I kind of lost who I was. I lost my identity. So the biggest thing that you guys are going to struggle with, and I can just tell you up front, is that your identity crisis is going to be the biggest issue for you students. And even some of you parents may be feeling that way too. Um, so this sermon series, what, what it's all about is that it's actually a series. Um, it's in the series of Ephesians, okay? And um, I have Ephesians 1. And the reason why I'm doing Ephesians 1 is because it 
specifically speaks to why we matter to God. It speaks to the very identity of who you are in Christ, who the Bible says that we are. So that's what I really wanted to focus on, especially with the graduates and all the students that were here and everything like that. I just really wanted to focus on our identity in Christ. Um, but, but before we talk about why we matter to God, before we talk about what Ephesians says, I want to take, um, take a quick pit stop here. And I want to take a pit stop in Genesis, okay? And s- before we can look at why we matter to God, I think we need to look at who we are in Christ first. I think we need to look at our identity and where that comes from first. We need to learn what the Bible says about our identity before we get into why we matter, okay? So I have um, Genesis 1... 26 through 28, if you want to read that with me. It should be on the screen, too. Um, also, the YouVersion Bible app, if you want to pull that up, you're more than welcome to. It should be in there as well. Okay. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them, man, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So, who does God say that we are? That's what this verse is all about, right? If you go back to the very beginning of Genesis, which is where we're at, this is exactly who God says that we are. So, a couple things we can take from this little passage here. The first thing is that there's God, right? Obviously, God was in the beginning, and he's always been there. So, there's God up here, okay? So, then... It talks about lower creation, okay? It talks about the, you know, the birds, the animals, and all that stuff down here. And then it talks about man. It talks about mankind, which isn't just man. It's men and women. It says male and female. And we're kind of like in the middle, right? So we got God up here, and then we've got lower creation, and then we have male and female who rule over um, all every living creature on the ground that moves, all the birds, all the fish, and all that kind of stuff, right? So those are the two things that we see. So our place as the Bible is defined, is, is kind of that middle ground, okay? And that's really important to understand because uh, when we don't understand that, when we don't understand where, where we're kind of at biblically, two, two things can happen here. The first one is that we think too highly of ourselves, right? We think that we are Christ-like, we are God-like, or we are some kind of divine consciousness or something. We think that we are on the same level with God, or we think that we are going to, you know, maybe we're going to reincarnate and pay off our karma eventually and achieve some sort of divinity or something like that. So when we don't understand our place, that, that, that's one way. Another way is we think too, too lowly of ourselves, right? We think that we're just no better than animals. We just have thumbs, and that's why we can think and do stuff. Or we think that we're just the luckiest of the animals, and we think that, you know, we're, we're really no better than them. But that's not true either. Um, the, the truth is that there is some sort of middle ground there, and that, that's where we are as, as a biblical identity, that we're not as high as God, but that we're not as low as dirt either. You know what I mean? So there, there's this there's this kind of middle ground and balance that the Bible tells us about. Um, so to understand that, to understand that God, who God created you to be, you can kind of figure out your identity from that point on. The second thing to understand about this verse is my absolute favorite. Um, if we can go back to uh, verse 20, the last verse, 28, I think. Yeah, so the, the very first three words there, right? God bless them, okay? That's, that seems 
pretty easy to understand, right? God bless them. That's what, the, that's what the verse says. What's more interesting is what the verse doesn't say. What the verse doesn't say is that they have done anything at this point. They had done absolutely nothing, but yet God still blessed them. I think our culture has kind of, we have like this corrupted view of God that we have to do something to receive blessing from God, that we have to kind of manipulate our system in a way that in order for us to be blessed by God, we have to do something. But that's not true. We can see right here. He said he created the man and woman, and then boom, he blessed them right there. They had literally done nothing, but God blessed them. And that's so important that God loves to bless us. God enjoys blessing us because he created us and he loves us. He's filled with grace. He's filled with mercy. He's filled with love. And he just absolutely loves to bless us. That's what he's created us, was so that he could bless us. And you may be saying, well, that doesn't sound like anything I've heard. And, well, yeah, because our culture doesn't teach that. Our culture teaches that you have to earn something to get something, that you have to, you know, I don't know, be really successful to earn any kind of blessings or anything like that. But that's not true. Our society teaches us that we're nothing better than animals. Our society teaches us that we're insignificant in the world as a whole. But honestly, guys, that's just not true. And the Bible points it out right here. Um, We are blessed by God, and that's who God says we are. Uh, He created us, and we we are blessed by him. Um, So there's a couple more things I want to say real quick before we get into Ephesians. Um, The first thing is that uh, I'm going to make sure I read this because I came up with it, and I'm pretty excited about it. Ready? Your identity is received, not achieved. Boom. That's pastor-like right there, right? I know. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Boom. (laughs) Your identity is received, not achieved. Adam and Eve didn't do anything to achieve this identity, right? God made them. God spoke to them. God blessed them. And God defined them. God did everything. They did absolutely nothing to achieve their identity. God gave it to them. Your identity is received, not achieved. It's not what you do, it's what he already did. It's not what you're going to do, it's what he already did. So I think that's really important because when you understand that and when you understand that it literally all comes from God, it frees you up from the competitiveness of the world, the bitterness of the world, the jealousy of the world. It completely frees you up from that to understand that, you know, Our identity is in Christ. We don't have to do anything to earn that. Christ already gave it to us. And that's something that's completely different than what our culture teaches us. Secondly, that we can kind of get here from our biblical identity is that you are not any more valuable or any less valuable than anybody else, okay? It said God created them, man and woman. God created mankind, right? It doesn't say God created man to rule over women. It doesn't say the opposite. It doesn't say God created this person to rule over this person, this person to rule over that person. No, he created mankind. He created them man and woman. You know, sure, some people are richer, some people are poorer, some people are smarter, some people are more able, but you are not any more valuable or any less valuable than anyone else. Um, All the people have the same dignity, value, and worth as the next person. Everybody God was given that to everybody, you know, and our culture doesn't teach that either. Our culture teaches that, you know, the more successful people are more valuable to the world or that the smarter people have more to contribute to the world so the rest of us don't matter. Did you know that there is a whole website dedicated to celebrity net worth? 
literally a whole website just full of rich people and how much money they make. It's crazy, right? So I decided, I actually spent a couple hours on there. It's ridiculously interesting. But so Michael Jordan, okay, he makes $1.1 billion. His net worth is $1.1 billion with a B. $1.1 billion. So naturally, we would think that, you know, obviously Michael Jordan is you know, up here, so if we all get locked in a room, he should be the one to be saved, right? Because he's more valuable. No, that's not true. We're all the same. Or how about, um, let's see, Jay-Z. I looked up Jay-Z. Jay-Z's pretty interesting, right? So he's worth $650 million. And that's not even including Beyonce, who, you know, they're married. They, uh, together, they probably make well over a billion dollars, how much they're worth. Here we go. Here's a good one. This is my favorite. You ready? Kanye West is worth $145 million. Old Kanye, that, that's, whether you like him or hate him, I don't care. Um, but he's worth $145 million. So no matter what Kanye says, you are just as valuable as he is. I don't care what, you, I don't care what he thinks, you are just as valuable as Kanye is. Your net worth has nothing to do with your self-worth. Boom, that's number two. You're welcome if you didn't catch that. I'll say it again, I'll say it again, I'll hit you back with it. Your net worth has nothing to do with your self-worth. It's crazy, right? So um, the third thing is, real quick, is that you matter to God, okay? We're about to get into Ephesians here. We're about to talk about all the reasons why we matter to God, but you do. And the Bible points that out here in Ephesians. Um, so no matter what your identity is, no matter who you think you are or what the world thinks you are, you matter to God, okay? So let's, let's jump into this here. So Ephesians 1, I'm going to give you some background just, just real quick. Um, this is one of Paul's many letters, okay? The New Testament is filled with a bunch of Paul's letters. Um, and this is the one to uh, Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. Paul was pretty, Paul knew Ephesus. He had been there before. He knew the people. He had taught there before. So he was writing them a letter, okay? So when we're reading this letter, we kind of have to, we kind of have to make some, kind of have to make some assumptions, okay? So when you write a letter, you do a little intro, right? You say, dear whoever, boom. And then you come right out of the gate, right? The first thing you talk about is probably going to be, you know, the overarching thought, right? When you write a paper, your intro, you know, kind of talks about, hey, this, 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 this is what I'm going to talk about. This is what's important, right? Well, that's what Ephesians 1 is. This is the intro to the letter. This kind of outlines what the rest of Ephesians is about, and it talks about why we matter to God. So, Frank is going to finish up the rest of the sermon series later. You know, he's going to go through the rest of the book. Um, this is just the intro. So there's a lot more that we're going to cover. Um, th this is just the introduction, all right? So with that said, let's go ahead and get in here really quick. Again, it would be a lot easier if I used a, you know, wireless, but I don't like that. All right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace be from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to stop us right there, just real quick. So, what's important to get from just this little intro here is the word, go, go back to verse 1 for me. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's something that you know, you can just read over and say whatever. This is in Christ Jesus, in Christ. So Paul, I didn't count this, don't worry, I looked it up. Paul uses some form of the phraseology in Christ 216 times all throughout his letters, okay? So 216 times Paul identifies us 
as in Christ, uh, in the beloved, in him, in, in the Lord, whatever, 216 times. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever somebody tells me something 216 times, I think two things. Either one, it's ridiculously important, or two, he's afraid we're going to forget it, right? When I hear something 216 times, I take that as, okay, this is what's really important. So right here, Paul is already outlining our identity. We are in Christ. And he says that 216 times over and over and over, we are in Christ. So this kind of helps to outline our biblical identity here. Um, Paul uses this language so that you help understand your identity, not the identity that we think we are, but the identity that God tells us to be. All right? All right, so let's move on here. You know what? I'm just going to read from the screen. All right, let's go on. Verse 3. Praise be to God, the Fa- God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All right, I'm going to stop you there too. The Lord blesses us, okay? You are blessed. That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons why we matter to God. We are blessed, and this verse says it right here. So have you ever felt cursed? You ever felt cursed? I know I have. Maybe students, you think, you know, you study on this test really hard and you still, you know, get a really bad grade. Or maybe adults, you, you know, you work really hard for this job promotion and you end up not getting it and you're just like, man, I don't understand. Or maybe, you know, people just keep constantly taking from you. You know, they're taking emotionally, they're taking spiritually, they're taking financially, and nobody is giving back to you. You just feel cursed. You're like, I don't understand why I feel like this. Well, in reality, we're blessed by God, okay? We are blessed in every way, shape, and form. We are blessed emotionally, financially, spiritually. However, whatever it happens, we are blessed that way by God. You have been blessed with the love and forgiveness of Christ as well. And some of you sitting here, you may seem like, well, yeah, I understand that, but there's no way that I'm blessed as much as the person sitting beside me. Or there's no way that I'm as blessed as I should be. Well, that's, that's not necessarily the case. Um, well, I'll touch on this in a, in a little bit later, but we, we're blessed. There, there's no question about that. But we are blessed in this life, but just because we don't think we get a lot of it in this life, that doesn't mean that he's withholding it from us. That means he's storing it up so we can have it in this next life. You know, we are blessed in this life and the next life because if we're going to be honest, guys, what we deserve is hell. We deserve nothing, nothing different than hell. Anytime we can wake up and be here, anytime we can walk down the street, that's a blessing in itself because we deserve hell. So anything we get above and beyond that is a blessing, whether you think so or not. And this is just the portion of the blessing that we're going to receive. We're going to receive way more when we get to heaven. All right, let's, uh, let's move on here to verse 4. For he chose us, uh-oh, that, that's important, right? He chose us. There's some uh, Calvinistic, Reformed, predestination language there. Some of you like it. Some of you don't. I'm just delivering the mail here. I didn't write it. So uh, let, let's, let's move on a little bit. Um, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us to the one he loves. You, you were chosen, guys. And, you know, I think this is something 
This is something to delight in. You, you were chosen. Have you ever been chosen? Yeah, some of you. Maybe I, I might have been, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. Have you ever been that kid in gym class that you're standing there and you're like, it's down to like the last two and it's like you and like a potted plant for like the last person on like the basketball team and then somebody actually picks the potted plant and you're like, well, crap, okay. Well, you know, I'll, I'll admit I've been that many more times than I would like to admit, but then here's the real test to see if you're me or not. If you don't get picked, and they're just like, okay, well, you didn't get picked, so you're on that team. I'm just like, you know what? I, don't e- I didn't even want to play anyway. And you just like walk off because you're like, your pride is hurt that you didn't get picked or whatever. I was that kid more than I like to admit. But have you ever been chosen? Or maybe they're drawing names out of a hat for a raffle or something. And you don't even put your name in because you're like, it's not going to be me. I know it's not going to be me. Even if you do put your name in it, you're just like, you're, the whole time they're picking, you're just like, nope, nope, nope. And you're like, unless it's like chicken pox or the flu, because then you'll get that, right? Of course. Of course you'll get that. But God chose us. God chose you. God chose you, 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 me, everybody. He He chose us. And I think that's something that we should delight in. I don't think it's something for us to debate about. I don't think it's something for us to ask the wrong questions about. I think it's something for us to delight in. Um, It doesn't say that God came... I was looking for specific people. It doesn't say that God came and was, you know, looking for the prettiest or the best behaved or whatever. Put in any adjective you want to. It said God chose you. And I think that's something that we should rejoice in. But not only did he choose us, he chose us to live blameless and holy in his sight, which I think is even more awesome. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't ever really walk around feeling blameless, right? That's not the adjective I would use to describe myself. If somebody came up to me and was like, hey, man, Jackson, how you feeling today? I'm like, blameless, blameless, yet again, just like yesterday. I feel blameless today. That's, that's, not, the first, that's not the first adjective I would go to. Um, for one, the saying is a little antiquated. It's a little outdated. But, but that's not the point. The point is that you don't feel that way anyway. Why? Why is that? Even though the Bible says it, why do we not feel that way? It's because we know our sins, right? We know our sins that we commit. We know we're not blameless. And we know the sins that people have committed against us. And I think sometimes that kind of culminates and kind of consumes who we are. And that kind of takes away from this, this thought that we are blameless and holy in God's eyes. Even if we look in the mirror and we don't see that, God does. He chose us to be that way. He chose us to be blameless. He chose us to be holy in his sight. And I think that's something that's absolutely just... I don't know, when I think, I can't even wrap my mind around it sometimes because I look in the mirror and, like I said, I see my sins, but God doesn't, and I think that's, that's awesome. All right, let's go verse 7 here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Have you ever felt punished? I have. Well, not really. I'm an only child. I wouldn't really know what punishment is, but, but that's not the point. But have some of you guys ever felt punished, right? Students, you like do something like, let's say you break curfew or something, you come home late and then your parents are like, well, you have to stay in your room for the next week. You can't go anywhere. And students, you're like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I deserve that. Heck no, we don't do that, right? We fight. We're like, no, no, I'm not doing that. And, and you feel punished. But your, your parents always forgive you, right? It's not like they don't love you. They're, they're trying to teach you something. There's every consequence, or 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every, um, everything you do has a consequence. Every action has a consequence, right? Well, God is kind of the same way, except he doesn't punish us. We, we don't need to worry about punishment because he, he did that on the cross for us. But he loves us and he forgives us when we disobey him. You know, sure, maybe sometimes there's actions for those consequences of us disobeying him, but that's not him punishing us. He doesn't punish us, but he does love us and he always forgives us. And that's, that's what dying on the cross was all about, was the forgiveness of those sins, this forgiveness of future sins that he knew we would commit. It's, um, it's so hard to wrap your mind around that, you know, whatever, whatever we're going to do, he, he already atoned for that. He already knows about it, and he already forgave us for something that we haven't even done yet. God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow, and I'm probably going to screw up, but he's already forgiven me for it, which I think is insane. Um, but you are forgiven, and that's, that's another reason why we matter. That's another reason that's outlined here in Ephesians. You are forgiven. God has forgiven you for everything you've done. Um, let's go on to verse 9. It said, He made known to us the mystery of his good will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect with the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So you are given a purpose. Okay, that's what verse 9 says, making known to the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You were given a purpose. Have you ever woke up and felt really confused? Uh, not just like, you know, you, you fell asleep like on the couch and you wake up and you don't remember that you fell asleep on the couch and you're confused. But I mean, like, have you ever woke up and like been literally confused about your life, right? Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, what do you want me to do today? Like, I, like what, do you, what do you want? Like, I, I don't know. And I think that a lot of us, maybe we ask the wrong kinds of questions sometimes. I think that, you know, we ask, you know, well, should I take this job or this job? Or should I do this or this? Or, you know, do I need to talk to this person or should I talk to this person instead? And we kind of treat God like a magic eight ball in a way. It's like, hey, God, should I do this or this? No. So I, he, he's not like that. And I think sometimes we just, we kind of ask the wrong questions. And I think what's important to ask is, God, how should I, how should I live my life to honor and glorify you in this current situation that I'm in? I think it's important that no matter what we decide to do, that we ask God, hey, how, how can I live my life to the fullest where I'm at? Um, you know, but that's not to say that, you know, if you, you know, whether you are rich or whether you are poor or whatever, we have the same purpose. This, we, all, we all in here have the same purpose. We all have differences, yeah, sure, but we all have the same purpose biblically, and that's to praise and honor God. That's literally what we were created for, was to serve and honor and worship God. Um, so in that sense, we're, we're all the same. We all have that same purpose, but we all live it out a little differently, right? You know, some people go to college, some people go to work, some people have this job, some people have this job, and it's, it's, we're all working towards the same common goal. And I think that's important when, when God gives us a purpose, is that this is the purpose he gives us. He gives us a, a reason to do the things that we do. But now, don't get me wrong, that's not to say that he doesn't have a plan. Plan and a purpose are two different things, in, in my opinion, I think. But he does give us a plan. Um, you know, he knows what we're going to do next year, five years, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, whatever years from now. He knows that. And he has already given that plan to us. But I think it's more important, what, what, what are you doing now? 
Because I think if you're doing the right things now, if you're living, you know, what you're doing for God now, if you're living the best way you can for God, everything else will kind of fall in line. Everything else will kind of fall into place. If you're where you're supposed to be now, God will make known the rest of his plan to you. So I think purpose and plan are two, two kind of separate things here. And if we're always or trying, striving to fulfill that purpose, then our plan will just kind of do its own thing. Our plan will come into effect. And so I think sometimes when, when we ask, you know, God, what, what's the will for my life? What's our purpose? I think sometimes we ask those wrong questions. Now, I'm not saying that you should never ask God, hey, what am I supposed to do? Because, you know, I, I do that all the time. But I think kind of understanding that our greater purpose to praise and honor him is um, something that we, um, we need to take as, as important. Um, let's, let's keep going on here to uh, verse 11. In him we are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. So, you have an inheritance, okay? You have an inheritance. That, that's what these verses are saying. Ask anyone in here, especially uh, my parents, and they will tell you that I'm the most impatient person in the world, okay? I don't want a trophy for it. I'm not trying to brag about it. It's not something I should be proud of, but I'm extremely impatient. I am the kind of person who will honk at the person in front of me going in the fast lane because they're not going fast enough. I am the kind of person who will yell at the microwave because a minute and a half is ridiculously too long to wait for popcorn. That, that, that's me. I'm just ridiculously impatient, okay? Um, when I was young, my mom used to tell me these two words, okay? And I didn't know what they meant at the time. But whenever I would, we would go somewhere, I'd be like, Mom, I want that. Mom, I want that. I want that. I want that. And she would always tell me two things. You ready? Delayed gratification. That's what she would always tell me. When I was little... I just knew that that meant no. I didn't know what it actually meant. I just knew that it was like, no, you're not going to get that. That's what I took it as. But as I know now, it means that if you wait, the longer you wait, the better it's going to be when you get it, right? The longer you delay it, the more awesome it's going to be when you finally get it. And now I look back on it, and, you know, I still don't thank her for making me do those things because I still wanted them in the time. But I understand. I understand. So it's hard to think about, God giving us an inheritance for me because I'm impatient. I want it now. I don't want to wait. Our inheritance is, is in heaven, right? We know that when we get to heaven, we're going to inherit all this awesome stuff, all these blessings and stuff that God has for us in heaven. But I want it now. I don't want to wait for it. So it's, it's hard for me to think in those terms, I guess. It's hard for me to think, okay, all right, when we get to heaven, we're going to have this awesome inheritance. I, I'm like, I'm so excited for it. I just want it now. I, 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 I'm impatient. But I think if you think about it in terms of that we're, we're going to get there, we're going to get that, it helps make this life a little easier to persevere. You know, when things are going bad, when, you know, you're in a season that's kind of crappy, you're like, man, God, you know, I, I can't do this. You just got to think about what, what he has waiting for you, you know, and it makes it easier to persevere whenever stuff like that happens. It's like it help, it's, it's easier for us to kind of press on and push on when, um, when, when we think about it in those terms. Um, let's keep going here. Verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. You were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. All right, the important thing here is in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, right? It literally lives inside of us. It lives in our heart. I think sometimes when, when we think in terms of our salvation, when we think in terms of the Bible and of, and of God, we tend to kind of separate, right? Even though we know the Holy Trinity, they're separate, but, you know, they're, they're not. We, we tend to think of our salvation and our life through the lens of Jesus. We're like, yeah, Jesus, okay. He's the one who, you know, died on the cross for us. And, you know, then, yeah, we know God. He's the one who, you know, is all watching, all seeing, all that kind of stuff, right? But then I think we kind of lose sight of the Holy Spirit aspect um, because it, it's, a little, it's a little more difficult to understand. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He, he, the Holy Spirit is literally with us all the time. The Holy Spirit is what guides us. The Holy Spirit is what gives us our, you know, our, our conscience. It's what tells us right from wrong. And I think a lot of times we just, we, we don't think in the ways like that. Very rarely do we go throughout the day and we think about, you know, what, what the Holy Spirit's doing. But yet, we, we acknowledge God in Jesus. But we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's not far away you know, he, he's, he's right here, and, and we are sealed with that. We have that. If we are in Christ, he has given that to us, and that, that's awesome. That's, why we, that's another reason why we matter. We are sealed. God has given us that because we matter to him. And I think that one, this whole set of verses, um, we have it here. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are forgiven. You're given a purpose. You're given an inheritance, and you are sealed. All these things are reasons why why we matter to God, okay? Um, you know, we, we'll get into more of this. I'm, I'm sure Frank will kind of, you know, come back and touch on a lot of this stuff, and, you know, we'll, we'll dig deeper in the more we go in Ephesians, but for, for you guys today, and you graduates, students, but even adults as well, th- this is huge. Um, you know, like I said earlier, whether you go and you lose your identity or whether you're an adult and you have, you know, an identity crisis right now, that no matter who you think you are, or, or, you know, who the world thinks you are, or whatever, this is who God thinks you are, and God has blessed you, God has chosen you, God has forgiven you, all these things is what's important um, from a biblical standpoint. Um, The next set of verses are um, Ephesians 15 through 23, and um, basically, Paul is rejoicing. Um, if, If you read it, Paul is rejoicing in the church of Ephesus. He said that he has heard of their faithfulness. He is excited about all the things that they are doing. And um, he's just, he's basically just telling them how excited and how proud he is of the church of Ephesus. Um, And we actually have a little, um, in the the back on those tables, we have um, a card. It's a graduate prayer, okay? And um, all you guys are more than welcome to take one. It actually is those verses, um, that you can, you can pray with people, you can pray for people, because it says, man, I'm rejoicing with you. You have been faithful. We are proud of you. Um, so you can take those verses, and you can kind of say, say that as a prayer, almost. And, um, you know, Paul is just so excited that, you know, the, the church of Ephesus is doing these great things, and he's excited about that. Um, let's see. So I know we're running out of time here, um, and I need, I need to hurry it up a little bit. But I have one thing that's really, really important, okay? 
So this right here, this is a yearbook, okay? This is a yearbook from, hello, this is a yearbook from 2007. Now, I was looking for my senior yearbook, but for some reason that got lost somewhere. I think I was, I don't know, maybe a sophomore in 2007. I think I just dated myself there, but that's okay. Um, so this, let's just pretend this is my senior yearbook, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm in this one too, but so if you looked at my senior yearbook, which I know a lot of you seniors just got, if you were to flip through here, I'd be all over it my senior year. Um, you know, you would see me as uh, student council president. You'd see me as president of the history club. You'd see me as editor-in-chief of the school newspaper. You'd see me as, um, I don't know what, what else. I did a bunch of junk. Um, but I would be all through that yearbook. But graduates, and this, this, I'm speaking directly to you here, and I'm not saying this to, you know, discourage you or disappoint you, but the reality is that as of, you know, this weekend, none of that really matters anymore. You know, I, who I thought I was, was who I thought was in that yearbook. I defined myself by those things that were in that yearbook. I defined myself as student council president. I defined myself as president of the history club. That's who I saw myself as. And then I realized when I got to college that <laughs> that doesn't matter. Um, so that's why I had such an issue with an identity. I was struggling. I was like, I don't know who I am. That's who I thought I was, but apparently nobody cares about that anymore. So um, graduates, I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying it so that way maybe you can kind of understand that you know, your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not what defines you in that yearbook. Yeah, it's awesome that you did all those things. I'm so excited that I did all the things I did, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But your identity is not in that. Your identity is in Christ. And when you go off to college, the biggest thing that you're going to struggle with is trying to find that identity. And if you already have a base of knowing that, hey, you know, this is my purpose, I'm blessed by God, and I am in Christ. That's my biblical identity is being in Christ. Then I think you'll already kind of, I know you'll already be way ahead of where I was when I was your age. Um, when I was your age, man, I sound old already. I didn't think I'd ever be saying that. Um, so, but no matter, no matter what, um, no matter what happens when you get to college, no matter what identity, you know, you are, or what, no matter what people think you are, your identity is in Christ and you matter to God. That's exactly what we just read about. You matter to God no matter what. All those things that we just put up on the screen, those are reasons why God loves you. Those are reasons why you matter to God because he has given you those things.